it is good to sing to God of His holiness. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to come back around to that in a little bit. Don't you worry. Um, I'd like to talk about it a little bit now for as good as that time was in song, but we're going to come back to it um, because it falls right in with the sermon. We're going to be in Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 8. And while you're turning there, I want to let you know something. If you haven't discovered it already in conversations with us and and learning kind of who I am and who uh, Sarah is, is that I'm a person who some people would call cheap in some things. Uh, she likes to maybe call me that, and she does it out of love. The other day, I had a t-shirt, or not a t-shirt, a dress shirt, and it was kind of a casual dress shirt, and it, it had worn a hole, in, in a pretty decent hole, in the elbow, just where you bend it, and it was, it was getting ready to go be thrown away, and I said, Sarah, what are you doing? She said, there's a hole in that shirt, and I said, right, but someone can cut the sleeves off, up to, and it can, be a, it can be a short sleeve shirt for in the summer. And she means she's that you've got to be kidding me, right? So number one, if you're here and you're good at that kind of thing, let me know because I, I want That's a good shirt, other than that hole in the sleeve. Number two, for me, I am the kind of person who wants to repair something instead of to get it new. If I can take the thing I already have and repair it and fix it and make it right, if it's possible, I'd like to do it. Now that's good, and some of you are like, "Yes, I understand this guy. Like we're on the same page." And some of you are like, "That's silly," um, because at a certain point, you get to, if it's something made, an item made out of plastic, at a certain point, it's more glue than it is plastic, right? And it's like, what can you do with that? See, the truth that we're going to see in God's Word this morning is this. You don't need to fix your heart. You need a new heart. And that is the truth of the gospel we're going to see in Matthew 5, 8. You don't need, you don't need to fix your heart. You need a new heart. So let's read. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is God's inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to just work through what your word says this morning, as I come to proclaim it, Father, I come begging for your spirit to be here, to empower these words, to illuminate our hearts. Lord, we might hear your word and live. This time is pointless and useless. I could prepare this message for a year. But if your spirit doesn't come, there's no point and there's no hope. So Father, may your spirit come this morning and empower the speaking and preaching of your word and empower the hearing and loving of the word and obeying and cherishing you because of it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this, that true disciples, and you remember we've been talking through, the Beatitudes are not saying, hey, here's your list of things to do. It's saying, if you're part of the kingdom, this is what you're going to look like. True disciples are those whom the Spirit has given a new heart. True disciples are those whom the Spirit has given a new heart, who He has given a pure heart. We're going to work through all this because it's just a few words, right? We have 11 words right here in verse 8, and there's a lot to this. So, our first point is just this. It's the first half of verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. When we go to the Gospels, we see that Jesus has the utmost concern for the heart of a person. When we talk about the heart, we're not necessarily talking about that organ inside of you that beats, right? That needs stents, that... uh, 
sometimes doesn't work like it should. We're not talking about that thing that pumps blood all around you physically. But we're talking about who you are on the inside. It's not your emotions. It's not how you feel. It is the center of your personality. It is, well, it is you. It is the core of what makes you, you. This is the heart that Jesus talks about. And it includes your mind and how you think. It includes your will and the things that you do and love. And the reason that Jesus is so concerned about it at this time is because the religion of his day had become so much about only the externals. See, there's a number of times where he's talking to the Pharisees and helping them work through the fact that all they're concerned about is with the externals. There's a time where he tells them that you wash the outside of a dish, of a cup, but you never wash the inside. And that's a problem, right? Because if you have a glass full of milk and you drink it all and you put it in the sink and then someone comes along and your kid, you're trying to teach them how to wash dishes and they don't have it figured out yet and they just wash the outside of it, and then later you go back and you try to put another drink in there where that old milk's in there, that's not a good situation, is it? You need the entirety of the cup, of the dish, washed. He talks about whitewashing a tomb, which is kind of an interesting thing, because if you want to make a tomb uh, just have better curb appeal, right? Someone looks at it and says, wow, how nice, look at how nice that tomb is. He says, you want to just paint over it, but you're ignoring the fact that inside that tomb, who would want to live there because a dead person is in there? And that's the reality of our hearts before Christ. So what do we do with Jesus' concern then for the heart here? What I want us to see this morning is this. That Jesus' concern for having a truly pure heart is something that is found in all of Scripture. We would say that there is a biblical theology of the heart that can be found as we work through Scripture. It's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. It's found in Revelation at the end of all things. All of this stuff is coming together. The idea that those who are pure in heart will see God. So let's look first at where it is true in the Old Testament. It's first true in the Old Testament in a verse that is Jeremiah 17, 9. And you maybe have heard this verse before. I won't make you turn there. It's a short verse, so um, we're just going to read it here. It says this, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, there are some translations that says, The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can understand it? The point is this. For us, our hearts without Christ have nothing good going on in them. It's not just that it's sort of tainted by sin, but Jeremiah says it's deceitful, more deceitful than anything else, and it's incurable. Which begs the question, then, what do we do? When someone says, well, go and follow your heart, right? And a lot of times we say that, and we mean that really well. We mean that with nothing bad behind it. But the question is, if the heart is deceitful and wicked, if it's incurable, should we actually follow our heart? Now, there's probably a second sermon in here somewhere where we're going to talk about the newness of heart and what it looks like. But understand this, that before Christ, if someone is apart from Christ, this is our heart. This is all we have going on. There's good news we're going to get to in a minute, but this is the bad news now, is that your heart is not that great. So if you look at an unbeliever and say, you know, you needed to follow Jesus, you just follow your heart to follow in Jesus, 
Well, that's not going to get them there. But here's the thing is it's also true in the New Testament. Turn to Mark 7 with me if you would. It's verses 17 through 23. In the midst of a conversation with some of the Pharisees and scribes of his day, they're getting into this whole topic of washing cups, of washing couches, of keeping things clean, and being afraid that if you touch something that is unclean, that it is going to not just make you ceremonially unclean, but it condemns you. There was understandings about the law that people just weren't getting, and that they had taken so far. And Jesus wants to help them understand something. It is not what is on the outside that condemns you, but what is on the inside, which for them was totally just like not what they thought. He says this, When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. We have to understand something. It's not what's on the outside that defiles us. If you eat some food, if they were to eat some food, eventually it's going to be gone out of their body, right? Give it a couple days, that food is out of there. He says, you need to understand that it's out of your heart that comes impure things. He's helping them understand that it's not that you're just being pulled along by the world and you'd really rather not before Christ. You're like, I don't really want to do that. But he says, no, it is from out of you. Parents, there are good and right ways to understand the fact that you need to protect your kids from a lot of the thinking that is happening in the world. We have to find that, strike that right balance between good protection, good sheltering, and making them completely oblivious where they can't handle the world. But you have to understand something. If you hope that by cutting out every single thing that could confuse or bring down your kid in some moral way, you have to understand something. It is not the world that makes your kid a sinner. It is their heart. Jeremiah tells us it's deceitful and wicked. Jesus tells us it's out of the heart that comes their sin. It's not that it comes from the outside. Things from the outside help. Things from the outside draw it out. But it's at the core of who we are before Christ that wants to make us do, have these evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, and on and on Jesus goes. It is the core of who you are if you're without Christ if you haven't trusted in him, if he, haven't, if he hasn't regenerated you and made you new. So the bad news is this. You cannot purify your heart. Remember Jeremiah's words. It is incurable. You can't take a pill. You can't take some nitro. 
right? Like some of you have to do for your hearts now. It's just reality. You can't, you can't do that. We have to understand the gospel is not just about changing your mind. It's not just about saying, well, I didn't really think a whole lot of Jesus, but now I think he's an okay guy. It isn't changing your outer actions, though your outer actions will be changed because of Christ. But anyone can do that. Anyone can reform the way that they live. Anyone can be nicer to people. Anyone can say thank you. Anyone can make themselves say yes, sir, no, sir. Anyone can make themselves save a little bit of money to give to people in need. But understand something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about becoming nice. It's about becoming new. So understand, your heart is the problem, not your environment. And that's going to change the way you think. That's going to change the fear that maybe you go into and you say, well, what if I'm around this person who's not a Christian? Church, understand something, that in the New Testament, there is more concern about being around people who are Christians living wrongly than being around non-Christians. There is more concern in the New Testament for that. Your heart is the problem, not the environment. And the thing is, you can't cure your heart on your own. It's incurable. But here we see the idea of the fact that God, that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart. He doesn't say the pure in the heart are going to be blessed. He says the pure in heart are blessed. That is the state of being that you're in if you are pure of heart because that means that making your heart pure is not your action. It's not your personal reformation of yourself and your morals. It is God's action alone. He is the actor in salvation. You were born and made new, and you have no part in your birth, right? You don't get to dial out, right? Our, our baby who's due in January is not going to dial out one day or text Sarah and be like, hey, it's time, let's go, let's get this. I'm tired of being cramped in here, right? When Sarah's body decides, that baby comes, right? When you go and have a heart transplant, do you... Actually, do you, do you kind of sit up and, and look down and you're like, hey, you know what? Okay, do this. Would you tell them, even if you were the best surgeon in the world, you're not going to be awake for that. You're not the one saying, hey, okay, now, yeah, do this, cut that, right? Okay, put that there. You have no part in it. Your heart is replaced and you wake up and you start living again. And we see this truth here in Ezekiel 36. If you would turn there with me. And I know that Ezekiel is like a weird book to find. I'll give you a few seconds, but I know that some of you, it's going to take a while just because we don't go there a whole lot, right? But Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 28. And God is talking to his people here. I'll give you some background while you get there. God is talking to his people here who are in exile, who are captive, who have struggled for years and years and generations centuries even, with going after other gods, with defying God's law in his way. And he says there's a problem. And see, what you don't need is to love the law a little better. What you don't need is to just be a little nicer. You need something else. You need, well, essentially a heart transplant. Here's what he says in verse 24 of Ezekiel 36. For I'll take you from the nations... And gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. And hear this. I, says God, I will give you a new heart. 
I will put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit within you. I will cause you, I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. See, God told them a long time ago, back in what we call the Pentateuch, back when they were first coming out. He gives them his covenant and says, these are my laws, these are my rules, this is how you do. This is how you live. And he says, and if you do these things, things are good. If you don't do these things, things are bad. But he says, but if you do them, I will be your God and you will be my people. People will know, they will connect me to you and they'll connect you to me. When they think of me, they will think, those are his people. Those are his children. But the reality was that they couldn't do it. And so he says, listen, you can't do it. And the reason you can't do it is because, as Jeremiah said, as Jesus has said, your heart, there's something wrong. Here he says, it's actually a heart of stone. And if you imagine the heart of stone, a heart of stone doesn't have any give to it, does it? So it can't pump, right? And it can't do the one thing that the heart's supposed to do, which is push blood around. It's useless. But he says, I have good news for you. And here's the good news about the heart. Is that Jesus promises to give us a new one. And as he gives us that new one, it is going to change the way that we live. Because you have a new heart, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you now, we understand this better to grasp that this is God's promise for the Holy Spirit to reside in us in the way that he didn't before Christ came. Because of all of that now, he tells us that he will cause us to follow his statutes. He will cause us to observe his ordinances. Essentially this. If you have a new heart, you have a new desire to live in God's way. Your actions will prove the purity of your heart. So why is this all so important, right? So, why, so we, we need a pure heart, right? God wants that for us. But why? What's, what's the why behind all of it? Well, as we look in the next part of the verse, in Matthew 5, it tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is in the future tense. We have to understand the past to understand the future. So we're going back to the Old Testament one more time. I won't make you turn there, but it's in Exodus 33, verses 19 through 23. But he added, and this is God talking here, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. And he's speaking to Moses here. The Lord says, here is a place near me, you are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face you will not see. Moses had a lot going for him, right? He was the leader of the entire nation of Israel. There's one place where it says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the entire earth. If there's someone who's maybe just a little bit below Jesus but has a lot of things going for him, we'd say, well, maybe he could see God. But the reality is that no, he can't. And God tells him as much. As much. He says, I want to put you here in this little crevice of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. I want to cover your face so that you don't see me and die. And then I'll take my hand away. And you'll see my back. Another way of understanding this, it may just be his back, 
right? It may be the place where his glory was. Some people think this understanding is that God is so holy, so righteous, so glorious that you can tell where he has been. And so as he passes by, he says, I'm going to cover your face, and you can't actually even see me, but you'll see the trail there. You'll see where I have been. But my face will not be seen. See, God in all of his glory cannot be beheld by humans because humans, as great as they may be, even the best of the best humans, they're still humans. They still live in the flesh. We have to understand something. There is a hope one day. There is a hope, and we see in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, that one day we will get to see God. One day we will be able to behold Him because we will be living in a state that is glorified. He will make us new. He will make the rest of our body and being to match the new heart and spirit He's given us. And then that day, when He has restored all things, we will see Him. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You can say amen just to that, right? That is good news that one day, because before we could not see his face, the best, that one of the best humans ever, not ever, but one who was said to be more humble than any person on the face of the earth at that time, the best he could do was see where, Jesus, or where God had been. All he could do is see his back. But one day, all of us will look on Christ face to face in his glory. And we will see. When we sing like we did this morning, in my mind, because I know what's coming, I'm thinking about seeing the face of God, and though I'm trying not to imagine him yet, because anything that I put into my mind will fall woefully short of who he is. To imagine one day singing to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is our God, and he is good. And he has given us the ability to see him one day. But the only way that we will see him in the future or even in the here and now is if we have a pure heart. My question for everyone this morning is this. Do you actually desire to see God? The first one is this. Do you have a desire to see God in eternity? Because for a lot of us, we like the idea of being good with God here on this earth in the here and now, right? Because you want somebody to quit nagging you about coming to church. Because you want to feel like you're at peace in the here and now. Because you don't want to have to worry about what the future holds after you die. I fear for a lot of us, 
I feel there's even times for me where this was true. I did not want who God was. I just didn't want the consequences of not knowing him. But the pure in heart will have a desire to see God for who he is one day in eternity. The pure in heart will have a desire to know his glory because they don't love the gifts that he has. They love him as the giver. And I fear that so many Christians today only love the gifts that God gives, but they don't love the giver. Do you want to see the giver face to face one day? And if you do, that brings joy to you in the fact that you have been given a new heart or that the offer is there for you to have a new heart. So you desire, do you desire to see God in eternity, face to face? And if not, maybe that should cause a little bit of alarm, a little bit of concern, a little bit of saying, well, why don't I want him in his glory? Why do I only want his gifts and not the actual giver of the gifts? But the other question is this. Do you desire to see God? We're going to work on that because that's two weeks in a row. Do you desire to see God for who he really is here and now? Unfortunately, and so often, we only want to see God the way we want to see him. We take all the things that we like and think that God should be like, and we try to cram them into the idea of who God is. And what we always end up doing is making a God who is not infinite and eternal, but can fit on our mantle that we look at and say, that's a pretty good God. I like him. And what we do when we do that is we're making an idol. If we lower him from who he is, we make an idol and not the true God. But see, if God has given you a new heart, what your desire is, is to look at him, to look at his word, to see who he is and say, God, don't just let me think about you in the ways that I want to think about you, but change my heart, change my thinking, that I want to know you for who you really are. Lord, if I'm a person who is all about justice, God, help me understand the parts of you that is love and mercy and grace. And God, if I'm a person who only ever wants to think about grace and forgiveness, help me to understand the parts of you that is just and holy and righteous. God, make me understand who you are. And if God has given you a pure heart, a new heart, you want to know all of him, the fullness of him. And it's going to change how we think and act. Because see, when something's pure, what we mean is this, that it's made up of one individual thing, right? If someone were to give you a bar of gold and they said, this is a pure bar of gold, and then you're like, that's awesome, that's great, thank you so much, and then you're walking outside and you drop it, and I don't know, I don't think gold would do this, but it, maybe if it's filled with something like iron, like cast iron, it might fall and hit the step and break in half, and you see that there's just a thin veneer of gold along the outside of it. And you say, hold on, I thought this was pure gold. See, you'd say, no, that's not pure. Just because I could see all the way around, and it looks like it's pure, doesn't mean it's pure. When something is pure, it's made up of one thing only. For a lot of us, our heart is divided, and there's parts of it that loves what we want and what we think and what our will says to do. And we have some gold here and some iron here and some copper here. We want some of God's ways and some of our ways, right? So often we have hearts that are divided and says, well, give me a little bit of God over here. I want him to scratch my religious itch, 
but I don't want him to tell me how to interact with this person who hurt me and harmed me. Don't make me reconcile, God. I don't want all that. I'm glad that you reconciled with me, but I don't want to reconcile with them. That's not a heart that's pure and purely devoted to him. That's one that's divided. As you look at your heart and examine yourself, as we are told to do multiple times in the New Testament, as you examine yourself, what do you see of your heart? Are there places where there are impurities still? And if there are, how are you responding to it? Are you begging God to draw those impurities out and to give you a full, wholehearted devotion to Him? Psalm 86.11 says this, Unite my heart to fear your name. See, the psalmist who said that knows that our hearts like to be divided. We want to love Jesus in this situation, but not this situation. We want to obey Him here, but have nothing to do with Him and what His Word says here. We want to say, whenever someone is sinning in a way that we don't sin, hey, look, well, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. But then whenever we're sinning in a way that maybe someone else sins, we want to ignore it and say, well, you know, don't worry about it. Unite my heart to fear your name. If you're here this morning, I hope that you will examine yourself and ask yourself, is my heart pure? Is it divided? And if it is divided, why and how and what am I doing about it? For some of you, you'll discover that your heart is divided and it's never been anything but. You may have good ideas about God, but you've never had new you try, you've tried your hardest to be nice, but you've never been made new. And I want you to understand that Jesus offers not nice, but new. He offers the gospel and says, come and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that's not divided, but that loves me. I will give that to you if you will come and trust in my death for you on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And Christian... I hope that you consider how you proclaim the gospel to others. First of all, I hope that you're proclaiming the gospel to others. I hope that there are folks in your life who don't know Jesus. Because if there's not, then it's kind of hard for you to fulfill the Great Commission, right? To make disciples. To share the gospel with others. So if there's not people in your life, first of all, who aren't Christians, pray and ask God to bring them into your life. Because remember, it's not what's on the outside that defiles a person, what's on the inside. Your environment... There's times where we need to be wise about our environment. That's not the key issue. The key issue is what's on the inside. So say, God, would you give me people around me who do not know you yet? And may I be willing to share the gospel with them. And when you share the gospel, though, the question is this. What are you proclaiming? Are you proclaiming nice? Are you proclaiming, hey, just quit doing this. Start doing this. Like, just don't smoke anymore. Only drink a little bit, but not too much. You know, be nice to people. Help the little ladies across the street. Don't honk your horn, and you're good. That's not nice, or that's nice. That's not new. Are you giving them the fullness of the gospel that says you need a new heart, and the only person who can give that to you is Christ? If not, it's behavior modification alone, and any religion can give people that. Give people what only the gospel of Jesus Christ can give, which is something new. 
And if you're here this morning and you know my heart's not even undivided, my heart is one single piece that is against God, that doesn't want Him and has not wanted to submit to Him yet, what I hope is happening this morning, if you're here and that's you, and you've not believed in Jesus, is that the Holy Spirit has been working, and maybe has already given you a new heart, has already given you a new spirit, has already taken that heart of stone and ripped it out and given you a heart of flesh that says, I want to submit to God. I want to trust in Christ. I want to make Jesus my King. And if so, I hope you'll come down this morning and talk to me during our time of invitation. And we'll talk about what it means to follow Jesus. But maybe you're here and you just feel God leading you in that direction. And for you, you're like, I don't know, Lord. My hope and my prayer is that you will submit yourself to Christ as your King, as your Savior, as the only heart surgeon who can do anything about your eternity. And that you will trust in Him. Let's pray. Well, this morning... We know that you do something unique and special, God, because you and you alone give us new hearts. We know that we do nothing to save ourselves. We know that we contribute nothing to our salvation but the sin that makes it necessary. And oh God, if there are those here this morning who don't know you, who have not submitted themselves to you, who you've not given a new heart yet, Lord, would you do it this morning? And would you make it apparent by them saying, I have faith in Jesus and I want to trust in Him and give my life to Him. And Lord, if there's any Christians here this morning who says, you know what, God's given me a new heart, but I've been living as though it's divided, that you would cause them, Lord, to repent. To show the true signs of your people, the true signs of true regeneration by saying, whenever they're confronted with their sin, I don't want this anymore. God, take it away. Lead me out of it. And Lord, may we all consider this morning if that is us. May we all consider where our hearts are divided and say, God, this isn't how your people should live. God, give me a clean heart. Renew your right spirit in me, as the psalmist says. Make it as it was when we first believed, Lord. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.